You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. And today we have another incredible guest. It is Mark Billy Billingham. After the incredible response we had from our Jay Morton and Ollie Ollerton episodes, we went out and got Mark. Mark joined the Parachute Regiment in 1983 and went on to serve in the SAS as a Mountain Troop Specialist. Mark was also awarded an MBE by Her Majesty the Queen after four years of making her wait for his service in the line of duty. Mark was also a bodyguard to some of the stars of Hollywood, which we brush on in this episode. And of course, he is the author of the amazing book, The Hard Way, Adapt, Survive and Win. We're here today to break down some of the key elements and lessons in that book and in Mark's life and career. You're sure to come away from this episode having learned some actionable advice that you can implement into your life and you'll be feeling more than motivated to go out and smash your goals. So, Mark Billy Billingham, welcome to the Freedom Pact podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. No worries, man. So, uh, we're here today. We're going to talk about uh, your career, some life lessons and uh, obviously the book. Um, okay. Now, the... The main mantra I picked up from the book is always a little further. Yes. What does that mean to you? And on what occasions has it really helped you in your life? Okay, let me take you right back to where it first began when I first heard it and didn't realize it was when I was nine years old. And um, I was a little bit of a rogue kid that um, got myself in a lot of trouble. Anyway, on one particular incident, an old guy, I'll say an old guy, about 70, 75, who I tried to steal his hat, which is mentioned in the book, um, chased me, caught me, and rather than give me a good idea, said, listen, come to my gym. I want to, there's something about you. So that's what I did. I went to his gym, believe it or not, nine years old, turned up at this downtown pub at six o'clock at night in the pitch black in, in the winter because something said to me, I need to go. So I went, and the old guy took me into his um what was a gym, which was actually a pub, back room of a pub. And he took time with me to teach me boxing. And he was the first time I'd heard it. And he actually took, took me to one side and explained what boxing was about. And he said, look, it's not a sport of brutality. brutality. It's a poor man's game of chess. It's about thinking. It's about anticipating the next move, being one step ahead, always going that little bit further. And that's the first time I really heard it. And he, was, he used to always say, always go how to be comfort zone and go that little bit further. You can do it. Believe it or not, you can do it. And he taught me all these lessons. So that was the first time really I'd ever heard it. And then I forgot all about it, of course. Many, many, many years later, I, through my military career, I joined the SES. And actually the prayer of the SES is always a little further. Part of that prayer is always a little further. Mm. 
So I've always kept that. And I've always felt whenever I'm being challenged and at the point where I feel it's time to give up, that mantra comes into my head mm. always a little further. And it gives me that energy, that drive and focus to go further than I thought I could do it. And I do it all the time. Even now when I'm out training, I always go, I push myself a little bit more and I still use that mantra. And to me, it means everything. And it really does help me. Oh, am I right in thinking that your dog is called Alf because of that saying? Or It is, because I love the name Alf as well. Alf, Alfie, Alfred. It's old-fashioned and I love it. And it's a very British name, I believe. And I, Yeah, and he's a British bulldog, so he's called Alf. And he will always go that little further. I'll make sure of that. <laughs> Perfect. And you well, mentioned... My wife will. <laughs> you mentioned that story of... Um, stealing the man's hat which was one of my favorite stories in the book actually and you know you said you were ready to take take a hiding and um he uh he said there was something about you what did what do you think it was what what was that something he saw in you when you squared up to him i think i'll tell you what he was i think he's he was a a, an old local guy who probably had a, a pretty rough upbringing himself and and i i'm saying this because this is how i am now he probably saw Although everybody, the sort of older generation at the time, saw the younger generation like me as a pain in the ass and a problem to society, which we look at kids today and say similar things. He's probably had a pretty rough upbringing. And maybe somewhere down the line, he's had somebody who actually took some time in him. And what actually happened, he chased me, like I say, and he caught me. And I was fast at the time. And this guy was running in, a, in an old, you know, trench coat type thing, big old uh, Crombie jacket, and still caught me. And he wasn't even out of breath. And I naturally went into a boxing stance. I'd never boxed in my life. I'd only ever seen boxing on TV with my old man sat there watching Muhammad Ali back in the day. So I didn't know how to box. I had no idea. But I went into this boxing stance and was like springing around on my toes. And from there, he just said, look, I think there's something about you. And he, I think he just wanted to give me an opportunity. He probably didn't realize I didn't know what I was really doing. I was just thought I was trying to make a name in the wrong direction. And he's just one of these people with a big heart, I guess, and a big soul. And he said, look, come to this gym. And he literally said to me, I remember it. It's like it was yesterday. Keep the hat. He said, keep the hat. But I didn't know as he threw it at him and as he grabbed it, it was my opportunity to run. And I ran. But I just kept thinking about it. And I thought, I'm going to go. And I went. And it was just one of those bizarrest moments ever. Having said that, I mean, had I not done it, it would, my life may have been very, very different. Because he, he really taught me a lot of things about discipline and respect and not just about boxing, you know? And, uh, yeah, so it, it was a, a crazy opportunity. But, you, you know, I actually talk when I do my shows, I tell people, could you imagine today your nine-year-old son going out at six o'clock in the night at, at, without a phone on his own in the snow to meet an old man at the back of the pub that was going to give him a hiding? Could you imagine that happening yeah, today? Yeah, it wouldn't happen, would it? No, of course it wouldn't. I mean, obviously, times have changed, but that's what it was, and that really did put me and I've always remembered it and it's kind of lessons learned that stick in my mind and the the book itself we had jumping too far ahead when I was writing the book and we can talk about why and how later on but the old man at the front at the start who I attacked I believe I've now become that old man at the end I'm now one of these people who wants to give back and wants to sort of take the time with the people up people don't want to work with mainly youth teenagers mainly who you know people just see as a pain in the ass and a, a dreg to society so 
Yeah. Um, when you were that that young boy then, and, and you know you attended the boxing gym, um, yeah. Fit fitness aside, uh, what what did it do for you then? Because did that sort of fitness and discipline did it save you from social traps? Did it save you know was there a a turning point in your life? Did it lead you down a different path, so to speak? I, I just think it gave me some sort of respect for for people and. It gave me a discipline because I was already, even at nine years old, I was getting in little gang fights and thinking that was a thing to do, to try and be this little hard man. I was kind of making, establish myself as somebody and without the, you know, using too much intelligence, which I didn't have at the time, I thought the physical side of it was, I'm going to make my name. I'm going to be able to have a name as a hard little boy sort of thing. So that's what I thought. But he, he taught me all about what it really meant, what boxing was all about and what, the, what physical fitness was about and using it to channel your energy and use it in a, in a positive way. So that's what it was all about. And it, it, I kind of grasped those lessons pretty early. So it wasn't just the physical, it was the mental as well. And, you know, it, it helped me quite a lot just to realize, again, how to channel, channel my, when I, when I had anger issues, which I probably did as a kid, I trained and I'd train harder. And, you know, I'd take it out of the punch bag or do an extra frigging circuit of heart and lungs sort of training, whatever it was. So there's those sort of lessons that came from all that and still do today, you know. I'm, I'm one of these people who I kind of have a, a semi-miserable day if I get up and I haven't trained. I feel like that training in the morning, no matter how hard it is, is my release and my sort of, my sort of set balance for the day. It sort of calms me down, makes me think straight and really helps. And I feel psychologically, I feel as long as I feel fit on the outside, I feel fit on the inside. Hence the reason I do still train quite a bit as much as I can now. Yeah, while we're on that subject, and um, I will come back to your youth, is you mentioned training uh, in the morning. Is that, you know, uh, is that one of the most important habits you have? What, what are the sort of your morning routine slash habits that you try and build into every day at the moment? I, I think I try to do as much positivity as I can every day, and you'll have heard this a lot now, you know, get up in the morning, first thing to do, make the bed. Make the bed, start it and make it. Not just throw a quilt on, make it. And start and finish something. And that's what we tend to do less of today. You know, you, get up, you try to do 10 different things and you, you, if you're lucky, you achieve one. Start one and finish one. Then start another, finish another. And, and I don't do that every day. I'd be lying if I says I did, but that's what I tried to do. And that comes from a military regime as well of 27 plus years. You know, get up, sort your kit out, starting with your bed, sort your, your clothing out, whatever you're doing, and have a structure for the day. And then I, I tend to get up. What I try to do is get up. I make the bed, go, go downstairs. I'll put my sports kit on, and I'll go out and train. I don't have a drink of water. I don't listen to any music. I don't have, have any food. I just train. And again, and this works for me. It doesn't work for anybody else. So before these super fucking PT loonies who tell me, well, that's all, whatever, it works for me. Okay, so it's a psychological thing where I feel if I haven't had anything to eat, I haven't drank anything, all I'm burning off is the fat and the waste from the day before. And that works for me. And that started again from a very, very young age. At the boxing club I went to after the nine-year-old kid stage where I got put into a proper boxing club. That's how we trained. It was like the old Rocky days. There was no music. There's no messing around and shouting to each other playing games. It was all training. You weren't allowed any water, so you'd finished training. You weren't allowed any music. And it worked. And it worked for us because you kept concentrating. And, and the, the mental side of, you know, your mind kind of, 
made your body work harder. Or that's how it felt. And it still feels like that today. So that's my routine. I get up, no food, no water, no music. I train. Um, it might be 40 minutes. It might be an hour. Depends how I feel on that day. And I do, again, I go with that mantra. And I do. And my wife will tell you. I say to myself, I'm going to road walk and run. And I end up running and sprinting and pushing myself even further. And that's what I do. And then I'll come, I'll come back. You know, spend a little time with, with the missus and the dog and we'll talk about what we're going to do for the day and we'll start doing our tasks. We, we have a board, we write out what we want to do and we start achieving stuff each day, whether that's applying, answering emails, writing parts of a book, doing our work, doing our charity work, working with the wife to, with her business out in Haiti. And it's a full day. And, you know, when you kind of try and... That's it. You just work for that day with a, a, the routine of trying to making, making sure that I've actually recently, because of the situation we're in, been training two or three times a day. That's slipped a little bit over the last week and a half because we've had other stuff to be dealing with. But, mm -hmm. but that's generally the routine. Start with fitness, do your chores, whatever that may be. And on a normal day, we're always, we travel a lot. You know, we have a charity. Our charity's out in Haiti and our, uh, my wife's business is out in Haiti. So she may be out there. I'll go out and work with her or I'll be filming or doing something, you know, at meetings in London, et cetera. So it's very different at the moment. But yeah. generally start with fitness and let the day unfold. It's interesting because um, I've, we've interviewed um, your TV uh, colleagues in uh, Jay and Ollie. And um, Ollie said a similar thing when it comes to his morning routine. He used the phrase, um, people are trying to change the world before they make their bed. And... Mm -hmm. Is, is that, you know, is it a case of, you know, people always have these big picture things. Is there a case of, like you said, just doing the little things together, small wins first, and then you'll build on that momentum? It's exactly that, mate. And then we've been all cliche and the rest of it. You can't build a house without the foundations. Mm. So build your foundation. Start with the basic stuff. And it's a routine stuff. And then build up, build up, build up. And work towards, call it your goal if you want, which yeah. is a bigger picture thing. The stuff that's going to take you a long time. For instance, writing the book, another book, you know, so through the day, I'll, I'll sort of do all the stuff that I really need to do that is necessary around me so I can sit and concentrate on the main thing, which may be that, or maybe whatever it is, you know, whatever that task is, you know, drawing up a plan for a securities, you know, project or whatever it is. So yeah, but you've definitely got to build foundations, building blocks and work your way up. You can't just go straight up to the top and, because you get frustrated with things, and then all the stuff below you is not supporting you. So that's on your mind, and, and then it's diluting your sort of your, your sort of focus, if you like. Yeah. Um, going and going back. Sorry, carry on. Sorry, mate. It, it is. It's very, very true. You've just got to do the bait, and, and it's repetitive. Making the fucking bed every day is repetitive. <laughs> the, the in the SAS, let me tell you. I mean, we. The ex, it's, it's an extension of your right arm is a weapon. You know, you have to be hundred percent you know, efficient with that weapon. And we will, if we haven't used it for a week, we'll go back to basics, you know, stripping and assembling it, cleaning it. Because we do. Because you have to. You know, we're never too good to, to, to forget the basics. So we always got, it's the same as most of the day now is, is about technology, okay, and, and satellites and GPS and all the rest of it. Whenever we go to the jungle, we go back to map and compass and pacing every single time. You know, and, and that is it. So jumping ahead, so I jump back again. So it's back to foundations, do what's necessary, and then aim to into the into the zone that you don't really know a lot of, where you're going to put some time and effort into. 
Yeah. On on this subject and slightly jumping back as well to your youth. Um, mm-hmm. When you when you first uh, joined the cadets as a kid, what was it you were looking for out of the cadets? What were you looking for at that time in your life, and, and ultimately, what did you gain from just that experience then? Okay, again, a great question. Um, I know now it's easy to answer, and I think I probably knew then, but I could, probably couldn't have answered it straightly. Was whilst I was at school, I I didn't see. I didn't understand what I was being taught. I didn't understand why it was so necessary to understand where a comma goes or a full stop goes or a sentence starts and begins. I didn't understand why I needed to learn multiplication, and then, you know, which I struggled with. It weren't making a lot of sense to me because I was thinking, How, where does this fit into my life? I'd always had an interest in the military and at the age of 11, I joined the cadets, as you rightly said. And what I was learning in the cadets was I was learning first aid and I could see the practicalities of it how to stop somebody's arm bleeding, how to fix you know, a broken leg, how to save somebody's life, how to give mouth to... I thought, this makes sense, and I could be using this every single day. Learning how to use a weapon, how to strip a weapon, learning how to read a map, you know, learning how to communicate with, with certain systems. That all made sense to me. It was all practical. So that, that, that was my sort of... So I kind of dropped my schooling, which I was wrong to do, you know, but... That's what I, I thought was the right thing. It actually worked out for me, without a shadow of a doubt. Where, but when I obviously joined the military, I, I had to sort of go backwards and spend time doing my education, catching up on the stuff that I did at the time I thought was not necessary. So that was the reasons. I kind of gravitated more to the cadets than I did to the schooling because I thought what I was doing in the cadets really makes sense to me. And it did, and still does to the day. And, and I've used those skills, obviously, a lot. So... And even today, I mean, I've wrote a book, uh, you know, and I always say to people, it's amazing I wrote a book. I've never even wrote a fucking email. But there you go. <laughs> That's how it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it's safe to say that, you know, you, you experienced um, your doubters early on. And um, I think one of the quotes you say in the book, I've got you, um, you remember hearing the words, I don't think you'll ever go anywhere, but that's up to you. And you also mentioned um, you thought maybe your dad was doubting you when you first made that uh, career choice. Did this level of doubt and um, people underestimating you, did that drive you at all? Did that build into your ambition? Yes, it did. Absolutely, it did. You know, no one likes, no one likes to be told maybe the truth, I guess, that you ain't good enough or you can't do it. And I'll be very honest with you, and you'll hear people say that, well, if you put your mind to it and you really concentrate, you can do anything. That's, that's bullshit. You can't. <laughs> you cannot. But what you certainly can do is do better. And, and, and as long as you, you have the drive and the enthusiasm and the focus, you will be in a better place from where you very, very started at. You know, having my dad, my dad kind of doubted me well, I didn't realize this till later on because he wanted me to prove to him that I could do it. And it was kind of, he knew the aggressive side of things wouldn't work with me. It was the kind of, the, the, the passive more, you know, firing that bow, thing across my, my, my bow saying that, well, you ain't going to make it. You, you, you can't do it. It was a kick up the ass I needed to go, you know what? I'm going to do this to prove it to me and to prove it to you. So that, that's what, how I saw it, uh, how I read it. And actually, in my dad's case, it was definitely the right, the right way. And my school teacher, 
Mr. Noon, who's, who I'm quoting there in the book, he did. He was the, he was the careers guy, and he said to me, he was, you, "You're going nowhere. You, you know, basically you're nobody." And I just thought, I, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you." And I always remember it, you know. And when I was going through the hardships of going through training, in the back of my mind, when I was feeling, I don't know if I can do this, those things bounced into my head. I ain't gonna let myself down to let my dad down. I ain't gonna let him myself myself down to prove to him that he was right. And it, it gave me that extra little bit of focus and drive to go forward along with my mantra of always going a little bit further. And those psychological sort of components really did help me hundred percent without a shadow of doubt. Yeah. And um, another, another quote that interested me in the book is um, you mentioned when you were a cadet, you were listening to the the Falkland stories and and you were jealous and you said the quote I've got here is I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be in a situation where I had to make big decisions. Why did this idea of being challenged so hard, why was that so appealing to you? Again, to prove that I was somebody, to prove I was worth to people so people could, you know, turn to me and go, wow, you know, what a quality sort of person to be able to, in, in that time of diversity and difficulty, he's one of those, he, I wanted to be a leader, I guess. I wanted to prove that I... I I'm somebody and I know what I'm doing. I mean, even today though, and, and back then in, in the times of conflict and war that I've been through with the regiment and stuff, I've made those decisions and nobody knows, no matter what experience you have, whether it's the right or wrong one, you'll know it's the right one by coming out the other end of it and, and achieving the results, which thank God I did. But so I've always wanted that challenge. I always wanted, can I, can I do it? You know, first time I ever went into any conflicts, I was, am I going to be good enough? Am I going to sort of cower down or am I going to stand tall and lead and go forward? And I did. And it was, it, I, I do love those challenges. So that was the reason for it. To, just for self-proof and, and to have people around me to believe in me and trust in me, you know? When you eventually um, were in those situations, so you mentioned on your, on your first stop, I think you said it was in uh, Belize, um, a friend of yours or, um, died and you said in the book this is my reality now what did that do to your mentality and, and was there any shift in mentality when you realised the, the severity and the reality of it all yeah it's, it's very easy to become complacent you know so I went through training as a young paratrooper and all my instructors who I looked up to were amazing people, legends, they'd all been to war they'd done, and I'd heard all the stories and not from them, from indirectly, you generated a good story about somebody indirectly, if he's telling himself, probably bullshit, but so I met real great people and I was fortunate enough to go straight through depot the first time, the training and also to come out the other end as the champion crew. So I kind of felt I'm a bit of a Jack the lad again. I kind of got a little bit complacent, but I know it all now. I've done it all. I've been taught by the best. I am the best. I'd never really been in conflict. I'd never really seen anything before. I'd seen dead people before, you know, you know, people dying of cancer or road traffic accidents, that sort of stuff. That's part of growing up. But I'd never really seen the, 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 the spoils of, of conflict or war and, and somebody being killed directly or indirectly. Uh, so when this incident happened in Belize, and bearing in mind this guy that we're talking about, Benny, God bless him, was the first person we'd met from after training a person of being in battalion, which we knew were different. It's different once you're in battalion. And he was a real nice guy. He really took time. Again, one of those sort of 
man, mentors of life who took time with us as new guys, explained to us how it's all going to happen, what to look out for, what to be aware of, and what to sort of do and say for the first part of your career and just to keep it on the right track. Lovely, lovely guy. So I met him, then disappeared, went on this trip to Belize. And it wasn't an operational tour as such. It's, it, it, we had stuff going on. We were carrying live rounds and there was incidents happening on the border. So it wasn't a place where we're classed as a conflict like today. But it was, it was real. And I got out there. I'd already been out there two, three months. I'd been on patrols in the jungle now. I was getting confident. I was getting a little bit cocky, if I'm honest. Starting to fit in with the guys. So again, I got complacent. I thought I knew it all. And then out of the blue, this incident happened. You know, I watched the helicopter. I heard the noises and wondered what it was all about. Watched the helicopter come in land. And as soon as I saw the body come off, I recognized it. It was a real grounding. It just really kind of put me on my ass and said, now you need to realize this is the, this is the, the, the job you're in. This is the game you're in. That could be you. One thing goes wrong. You get too complacent. I'm not to say Benny got complacent. He was in an unfortunate, you know, situation. But you know, so it was it was a grounding, and it reset me again. It, it recalibrated me back to every day's a school day. You're here to learn, listen, learn, and and you know, use those lessons that you have learned going forward. And that's what it did to me. So it was. If there's a if there's a positive thing to come out of that, that was it for probably not just me for a lot of younger people as well that were there at the time. And when you personally were in um, vulnerable or, or high pressure of, you know, dangerous situations, I imagine, um, and I asked Jay the same, the, the same question, um, so examples where you may be in a, in a firefight or you may be under extreme pressure, how do you maintain that level of focus and skill set when the instinct of a human being is to panic um is there a case of you know relying on the skill set you built and just going on autopilot it's it's a kind it, there's a bit of that i'll be i'll be honest and i think every soldier will tell you the same no matter who you are when you've got a, a, a situation in front of you that you're at it's out of your control which most 90 percent, 99 percent of them are because you don't know what's going to happen you don't know you know what you're really going to hit you know you're in danger. You know the people around you're in danger. You know it's not a great place to be. You've got to make decisions. It's there's a there's an element of fear there, even with us. You know, you might look stony faced and the great leader and, and getting stuck into it. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I can I could get this wrong, and I don't know if I am. But I've got to make a decision. And you kind of what I do, what I have done is just how I keep that focus and mentality is. Let's you take a deep breath, clear my head. Forget about the noises. Forget about the panic around me. Look what I see in front of me. Look what I need to do and start to make decisions, what I believe are right. And you'll only know if they're right when you get to the other end of it. Most of the time they are right. And well, I've been very fortunate they were right. But so that's what I do. Sort of steady your mind, steady your breathing and just go forward. Think about what you've got to do and look, keep looking at what you've got and look at options. How, what if this happens? now how am I going to do this how am I going to do that I'm going to keep them safe I'm going to keep me safe and it's, it's happening very very fast and it happens automatically now that comes with lessons learned in the past that you know the lessons from the old man what he said to me the seeing Benny getting killed blah 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 whatever it is there's an element of everything it all kicks in at that time and you use that and you know you just sort of keep focus keep clarity and try to make good decisions. And that's all you do, you know, steady your breathing, steady yourself. Don't get caught up in a panic. 
take a breath, think, and then, you know, adapt and, and do what you need to do. It's about it's staying calm yourself, breathing, calm down. You can't change it. You're there. Do something about it. Don't go into panic. That's all it. I mean, I hope that answer, answers it for you. But yeah, it's calm yourself down. Get, get a grip of your breathing. Get a grip of your, your state of mind. Keep focused and then look with clarity and start making decisions. Start doing things. You made uh, the decision to go through SAS selection and you described this as a different level. You described it as the Champions League. Um, yeah. At this time, obviously, you, you, you know, you're already decorated. You are, you're, you're a success as far as most people are concerned. What was the motivation to take it that giant step further? Was it, was it again the same thing if you wanted to challenge yourself? Was it to prove yourself? What, what was it? It was a bit of everything again. Yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to know, could I be in the Champions League? Could I be run alongside your David Beckhams or in the military world? I wanted to know if I could. I always felt I could, but you don't know until you do it. It's easy to sit back and say, I was going to be this. I was going to do that. I'm not one of them people. I want to know if I can. So that was in my mind. I wanted to do it. I also, I knew that the regiment, from what I did know, from people that I did know, it, it was, it's a different league. It's, you work at a different level. You work at strategic level because you're small numbers. And don't get me wrong, the parachute regiment is phenomenal and they're awesome soldiers. And so are you know, the Marines and all the rest of the, all the military. You've all got your jobs to do. The regiment is different. You learn, you, like I say, you, you work at a strategic level. You work on a different sort of level of communication and intelligence. And everything is real. It's, it's, it's for, you know, not to say it's not real, but it's, this is, this is massive decision changing stuff that you're involved in. And I wanted to be part of that. Well, again, I wanted to be, could I be the person to make these decisions? Could I be the one that is actually having a massive influence on not just our country, on the world, you know, in some of these places that you end up, you, you end up changing policies for the better, for, for governments, you end up, you know, saving lots and lots and lots of lives directly or indirectly indirectly and i knew that's what i wanted to be part of i wanted to be part of this sort of legacy this this you know unbelievable sort of where i knew it again there was many many people try but many many people fail very very few people actually get to that point i just wanted to know if i could be one of them people and yeah so all that mixture i've just spoke about was the reasons why i went for it and wanted to do it not just the challenge and um, if I'm right in thinking, a lot of that took place not far from you, the Brecon Beacons. And you, you went through stages like um, the endurance, you mentioned the fan dance. Just for the people listening who, who might not be aware of, of, of SAS selection and war, it's like, where did it take you mentally? Did it take you to the darkest corners of your mind at the time? It really did, yeah. I mean, I think you had to break through all the doubts and all those barriers you know, and it was, it was down, it, was, it, it really makes you realize it's down to you now. This is where one of the biggest ingredients for SAS selection is self-motivation. It's not like any other course where, you know, you'll have some big instructor behind you screaming and shouting and pushing you. So that's where the, the, the reality, the, the difference between the show that you watch, SAS or Dares Wings and reality and the real selection, there's no screaming and shouting. No one shouts at you. No one drags you along. None of that. There's none of that. It's all down to you going through those final barriers that you don't think you can do 
because no one else is going to tell you to do it. They'll, they'll just tell you, get from A to B, carrying a fucking house on your back at this speed, do it. And you can, if you don't want to do it, you don't do it. So that's where I really felt, you know, I could, that's where I really felt that, um, you know, mentally it was a different level. It was an absolute different challenge. But, and again, it was down to me. And I, I had the option to say, nah, that's enough. I'll just walk away. And I, could, I felt like I could hold my head up high, but I just felt, no, I need to sort of push myself again a little bit further and go a little bit more, see what else I can do. So that was the difference. That's what it's all about, you know. And you talk about selection, SAS selection, what a lot of people don't know is the eel, we call it the eels phase, which is the Brecon Beacons. That's, you know, a, a month plus of work where you end up a very small team to start with and then you're individually, you're on your own for all of it. And it's long durations, it's heavy weights, it's times, and it's hard. It's physically, physically hard and mentally. But that... That really is the hardest part of selections when you the next phase is when you go to the jungle. And people don't realise that. I mean you lose seventy percent of your people on on the mountains anyway. And you don't really as a DS look at people until the deals are finished. Because what you'll end up with then is the real hardcore bunch of people who wanna be there, definitely wanna be there, and they're fit enough, of course. And this is when you start to really put on the pressure of the mental side of it, you know, working in the jungle and operating, you're carrying just as much weight. It's exactly like doing the, the, the eels phase, the, the Brecken Beacons phase, but under a canopy. It's like doing it in the sauna and being smashed in the face every two minutes with sticks and bushes and stuff. So yeah, that's what selection is all about. That's where the real physical, physicals are, is all the way through, but the, the main part of the physical is the, the mountain side of it. And then the, the main, Really, the sort of mental side of it is thereafter through the jungle and through the rest of the training. What did, you, what did you discover about willpower during, during that phase? Did you discover, you know, is there a finite resource? Do we have unlimited willpower? Do we kid ourselves about how much we have? I don't think we realize how much we have until you go break those barriers, until you, you push it. You know, or your heart and lungs might be pounding and you're sucking in air from, you know, from England if you're in Wales. It's, it's hard. But you just, as long as you, as long as you mentally, your mind doesn't give up, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll go to, through barriers. You just didn't think you could do it. The, you know, that willpower comes with just trying, just, mm. just pushing it that little bit further without trying to kill yourself, of course, <laughs> you know. We've, all, we've got more willpower than you, you realise. It's just whether you're willing to challenge it, whether you want to... It's, it really is, you've got to go out of that comfort zone. Nothing comes easy. If it comes easy, it probably ain't worth having. You know? And you can look at people, you know, like, like people look at the guys who come on the show and you, you get athletes. And you think, well, geez, they're, they're the fittest in the world. And all of a sudden, they've gone after two days. Because it's not one discipline. It's a multitude of disciplines. And the main one is... The willpower, the the wanting it, the, the the will to just at least go for it, try it, you know. So that's the difference, I think. How important is self assurance to to all of us in in every area? I mean, not just in you know, that's not we're not talking just about military. We're talking about everything, everyone's goals. How important is self assurance? And the example I'll give you in the book is um, you mentioned when you were a bodyguard um, for Clint Eastwood and. You weren't the biggest bodyguard around, but you stood out to him because of your mind, your mentality. You knew you had that to fall back on, and you were 
you were you were assured you knew that that was there and you were confident so how important is self-assurance it's very important it's really really and and self-assurance comes from experience knowledge and honesty you know you can't and I'll, i'll give you another example of this if you've got you know you've got a knowledge of let's say first aid and hopefully most people have and you come across somebody who's been in a bad accident or maybe shot and what tends to happen people in, in that situation that are injured and in pain or whatever go into panic and if you're in panic and somebody's trying to help you is very confident and very sort of calm it naturally helps that person that's injured and it's true you know i've, I've seen people that have been in a real bad situation may have been blown up or shot and you know i'm almost in my head i'm thinking Jesus, this, this guy's going to die. I'm not going to tell him that. And I saw, you know, I'm helping him going, oh, stop whinging, stop whining. You're okay. Your legs are, you know what I mean? I, I come across as being very, very sort of confident, which is the same sort of thing as self-insurance, you know, having that confidence based on knowledge. And you've just got to be able to portray that in the right measures without bullshitting, you know? Don't, don't waffle and, and try to be someone that you're not. Be very honest with yourself and, and, and confident with it. And that, and that gives you great self-assurance. And, and it's a, obviously a very, very key sort of factor. And we've all got it. It's just about using it but based on knowledge and, and honesty. Now, um, you're, this is a bit I liked in the book, you're the only man to keep the queen waiting four years for your, for your MBE. Is that how focused and all in you were on a career like yours, where you just couldn't afford that distraction? You couldn't afford to take, you know, that time off and, and, and take yourself out of that headspace at the time? It, it was a bit of both. It was a bit of, um, I mean, it was a lot of that. I, I was focused. I was very busy at the time. And my, what I was doing at the time was very important to me. And I thought, anyway, well, you know, it's a, it's a medal. Medals don't mean a great deal to me, I'll be very honest. And I was just like, well, I can go whenever I'm ready. You know, which is a bit rude, really, when I look back at it, you know, keeping the queen waiting. But, I mean, she was pretty cool about it. She let me know that I kept her waiting. (laughs) And so did the lady in waiting, of course. But, yeah, so it was because I was very busy at the time, very focused, and I thought, this it's not a priority for me to go and spend time down in London with Her Majesty, you know. And it wasn't to be derogatory, although looking back on it, it is a little bit. Um, you know, we're trying to be all big, I'm too busy. I, I was busy. I really was busy. And that was the reasons, like, you know. And then time slips by and I forget, like I say, I, I'm not, it doesn't, I'm not one of these, oh, I need to be decorated. I want this and I've got this and I've got that. And, and, you know, I just, I'd actually forgot about it for a while. For most of the year, I forgot about it until I got that letter again. I thought, oh, right, okay. And then just unfortunate at the time that I received the letter again and the time that she wanted me there, I was doing other things. I was busy. I was busy. So, what um, We've mentioned a few, uh, like willpower and, and self-assurance and, and other things. But what um, military skills or mental traits or assets did you – or have you been able to transfer to other areas of your life outside of the military? I mean, quite a few, really. Um, the military teaches a lot about discipline and respect. Two key components in it, no matter what walk of life you're in. You know, so understanding... Also, you know, the military, it teaches you good sort of time discipline mm. and 
how to sort of complete a task, complete things, get things done. Don't just say you're going to do it, get out there and do it. Um, so when I transferred out of being in the military, obviously one of the key skills I had was security, understanding surveillance, situation awareness, kind of a sixth sense of knowing when things ain't right and you know, you kind of get the ackles on the back of your neck. And we all kind of get it, but most people just ignore it. But in the military, you, you get it quite a lot. And you know, okay, this is, there's a reason for this. We need to stop, rethink, rejiggle, just check a few things. So all those skills are transferred after the military. And I use a lot, especially going into security. When I went, you know, as the head of security, of celebrity um, people. Or it doesn't matter who they were, but as taking care of people, I realized all the skills that I'd learned in the military were still there to be needed. They just had to be toned down a bit. You know, not everyone's going to jump from behind a, a rock or a tree with an AK-47 and try and kill you. It's now, the other problem is now is somebody with a camera trying to take a picture of your private life that you don't want them to, or, you know, making sure that the client was comfortable of where they were going and what they were doing and on time. So you used all those skills that you learned through the military. You just toned it all down to a lot less aggressive sort of manner and use them that way. You know, just learning, knowing from all my clients from the medical side of it, I knew all their blood groups, I knew all their allergies, I knew all their issues. And so I could react and be one step ahead of the curve. And that was all stuff that you learned through the military. You know, and then when I got out to civilian street, everything seemed to be very lackadaisical and very unsecure. Un you know, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow and then no one turns up. Whereas if somebody in the military generally says, oh, you've told him be there tomorrow, he'll be there. So there's all these things and all these skill sets that I learned, all the basic stuff, which I was able to use and, and to great effect. Just had to tone everything down a bit, you know? Yeah. You've, um, you've certainly tried your hand at, at a few different things. And, you know, I wonder if that's because you have that thing inside you to challenge yourself in, in uncomfortable areas. And, and one of the ventures you, you've gone into is business. Um, the example you give in the book is, is Sabre. Uh, what lessons have you learned in business, you know, coming into it as, as new to that field? Um, I learned a lot of, I mean, one of, one of the sort of things that I struggled with initially, but I sort of got my head around was sort of terminology, you know, lost leaders and, you know, depreciation, all these sort of words, which are actually very, very simple things. It's just the way that in the business world, they, they sort of say and do things. It's, it, it's all common sense. It's just about knowing. What I have learned about it, you know, a lot of people um, kind of, not, there's not one expert. That's one, one certain thing I've learned through business. Although you might be the CEO of the company, it doesn't mean you have all the answers. To be a good business person, you have to rely on a team. And you have to give the people within your team the respect and the tools to do the job and allow them to do it without micromanaging. You know, so I learned a lot about all that sort of stuff, not to micromanage, not to sort of pretend that you've got the answers to everything, to use the skills, a bit like the military, I suppose, and, and use all those sort of assets and sort of key sort of components to, to your benefit, you know, for the same sort of focus. Um, the other thing about what I learned about business was, you know, it's pretty sort of uh, cutthroat. It's all about profits and mar profit margins and, you know, it's the bottom line. 
and it, it takes a little bit about getting used to it. It's not just for the love of the job. It's a, it's about making money and being one step step ahead of your sort of com, your your opponents that you sort of all your challenges. And it can it can be a bit daunting at times and a bit sort of like I say a bit cutthroat. It's not fair. Business is not fair. That's for sure. Is again is challenging yourself in in those uncomfortable areas something you like to do because you um the example you give in you've tried your hand at acting in uh, the gunman alongside Sean Penn Id- Idris Elba uh, all these guys that are just you know they're, they're, they're the most decorated of actors and and here you are um mm. in your first role uh is that something you like did you like the challenge of that did you like the fact the scared you made you feel uncomfortable I did, yeah, and I, I like diversity. I like something new, you know. I couldn't even spell actor, and then all of a sudden, oh, there I was. I was in a freaking film, like you say, and it was fun. I enjoyed it. I, I didn't feel hundred percent comfortable with it all the time, you know. One, one of the great things about that, or the easy things for me, is I'm, I'm no actor. I just played that part, you know. But I mean, I didn't do any acting classes. I didn't do any acting school, and nothing like that. I just. I brought the realism to the program. I mean, Sean wanted, uh, of the film, Sean wanted, he knew me from working before together. He knew what my background was. He'd seen me work and he knew I was professional and what I did. And they wanted to add that professional side of it, which was the knowledge I already had. So it was about me fitting into what, the, using the skills I had and looking the part, doing the part, or adding my sort of knowledge. And, you know, I didn't have to be a great actor. And, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was just the having a camera stuck in your face was a bit weird. You know, you, you almost start to become play up to it a little bit. That was awkward. It, that took a little bit getting used to and then a little bit uncomfortable. And also to get like two minutes of filming could have took six hours. That, that was kind of frustrating. I thought, you know, not my world at all. Although it was great fun. I did enjoy it. And I'd probably never say never. Would I do it again? Possibly. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was just different. It was just it was just different, and it was just took a little bit of getting used to. It's um, the sort of spheres you've been in. Um, they act in, for example, um, or you know, bodyguard to the stars. They can, you know, they have their rewards. They can be quite rewarding positions. But maybe you didn't find that meaning that you found in other jobs. You know, some people would be happy to, you know, um, kick on from a role like that and, and pursue that career. Um, without being, you know, f- uh, wholehearted going behind it, some people would be happy to, you know, hang out with Brad and Angelina as their bodyguard and, and and coast like that. But when you decided, you know, to step out of that sphere and and do more meaningful work um, with charities and things, was was that important to you at the time? Finding meaning and purpose in what you do. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. You know. I did the security. It was a string to my bow. I did the sort of planning and the acting start side of it. Another string to my bow. And it's easy to kind of, probably the wrong word to use, reach your ceiling and then just stay there in that comfort zone. I don't like that. It, I, I, I enjoyed doing it. It was good fun. But I, yeah, and absolutely, I think I, maybe a flashback to right from the start, like I said, the old man was a guy who probably had a, a rough upbringing, had a rough time, was given an opportunity and wanted to give back. There's always a great feeling about giving back. You know, it's like winning the lottery. Seeing somebody that's less fortunate than you, putting a smile on their face from 
you helping them it's, it's just it's it's priceless and you know i absolutely adore it and my wife lives and breathes it and you know getting into the charity work i've always been involved in charity but i really started i didn't really understand it and a lot of people don't what it really means and how to do it and how to do it right until you actually do it do it and do it properly and i went out to haiti um to help build an hospital is why i went and donate an hospital and i thought that's a, that's it that's that's my bit done but it's not that's only the beginning of it you know you went out went out there and really realized what it really means. It's, a, it's about sustainability. It's about dignity. It's about giving people not just a, a, a small sliver of what they should have, give them the full opportunity. You know, don't just give them a month's work because that's meaningless to it. No, to any, it's useless to anybody. It's actually more damaging than, than good. It's about giving them an opportunity to be able to stand on their own two feet with longevity, giving people, you know, dignified living wage or whatever it is you're giving them, but giving them the sort of full benefit of something that you might have or be able to do for them. So, yeah, yeah. you, um, you know, you mentioned the, the Haiti earthquake involvement. Um, obviously you've, you've done work with anti-poaching is helping people important to you at your core. And, and why is it so important to you? Yes, it is because, you know, I grew up, I'll tell you why, because a saying that I use a lot is no matter how, how bad things get, there's always somebody worse off. And it's true. You know, it's not a nice thing to say, but it's freaking true. You know, like people are whinging and whining now about being in isolation. Oh, come on. You know, you've got food, you've got electricity, you've got water, you've got there's people, you know, in places got no food, don't know if they're gonna make the next day, the next week, got nothing. You know, and I I came from a pretty poor background, you know, I didn't have a lot, I had holes in my shoes, I had to steal shoes, I had to whatever. But and I just thought it's, I remember what I went through, but there's people going through 500 times worse than me. And having been, having the experience of the regiment and the military of traveling around the world and seeing this with my, with my own eyes and seeing how people suffer, the normal people suffer, I just thought it's, it's, it's not right. You know, when we have so many billionaires in the world today, why the fuck have we got people, kids with no food? It doesn't make sense. Why does anybody need to be a billionaire? Why does anybody need to own an island when there's kids that can't get education? There's old people freezing to death in the, you know, in a, in a winter. It's just wrong. And I, I just feel it, it's a great feeling to be able to go. And if you can help one child, one old person, one person, doesn't matter what religion, culture, it, you know, if you can help one person, it, it's just, a, we should be doing it. We should, you know, we've, we're in, this world now is, it's all about me, me, me. And, and, Everybody having having way way too much, too many clothes, too many electrical things. So there's no need for it when there's people with nothing. And having, like I say, travelled and seen it and still seeing it, it's it's just you know it's 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 what I want to do. And I know a lot of people do it anyway and want to do it. We should be doing it. We should be helping people less privileged than us. On the in the spirit of of, of giving back and helping people. Um, your book, you know, the, the hard way. One of the things I liked about it, I've read a lot of books um, by a lot of you know personalities, and it's it's really easy to write a book and just tell your life story. But what I what I liked about your book is you've tried to build in lessons and you've tried to make it relatable to 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 other people's lives, not just military lives. You've you've tried to you know there's a lot of lessons anyone can take from the book. Was that one of the motivations when it comes to, to writing the hard way? 
Yeah, it was. It, it was about, oh, not look at me. Oh, I was a military guy and I got medals and I've been with the stars. It was nothing about that. It was about lessons learned. Mm. And that's what life is really about. It's about, okay, what did I get wrong? And what, you know, did I get right? And, let, and I know when I do my talk to people, a massive percent of that audience go, that child that he's talking about is very similar to mine. And it gives them the inspiration. So they look at me and go, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And that's what I'm saying. If I can do it, you can do it. You just got to, you know, believe in yourself and push yourself out a little bit and just go for it. Have the, have the courage, the balls, the conviction to go for it. And don't get me wrong, you know, a lot of things that I've tried to get to, I didn't get there, but by trying, opens up all these different avenues. I never wanted to get in anything to do with TV, but these avenues opened up because I was trying to get somewhere else. And, you know, and everybody should be, able, should be able to do the same. It's not about, look how good I am. It's, it's about the lessons learned and, and passing on that knowledge to people like yourself, people like, you know, who do read. You go, well, you know what? I can relate to that and take something from it. And I think a lot of people do, and especially when I do the talks, I go a little bit more in depth on certain things and people go, yeah, I can relate to that. And that's what it's all about. And that's what the book is about. It's about, this. you can, you know, I've, I've been very lucky, don't get me wrong, and I've been very fortunate to have the support around me with, you know, the people around me. And I've, I've worked hard as well. And, you know, it's, it's an absolute privilege to be able to put that on paper and say, look, there it is and you, you can do the same sort of thing and, and you can. So I have, uh, I have two questions left for you. Um, one of them being um, with the book now and, and, and you, you know, impacting so many people's lives through the book. Um, it brings up the question of mentors to me. I mean, mentors don't have to be people, you know, personally, it can just be people you look up to and, and learn from. And, and you undoubtedly will be a mentor to, to so many people who have read the book and, and followed the journey. Are there any mentors that you look up to? Um, you know, I'll try to, I take lessons from all sorts of people. It doesn't have to be famous people, you know, mm. you know, I learned from, from my wife. I learned how to be, understand charity from, because she had the knowledge. Um, I, I took lessons from, you know, kind of back on what I just said there, Clint Eastwood, one of the nicest people I ever, I ever met, you know, people, no, because he's Clint Eastwood, because he's an actor. I look beyond that, and I met him, and, I, and just the way he was, just like I'm talking about there, one of the nicest people ever. He just treated everybody the same. He treated people how he wanted to be treated, and he meant it when he spoke to people and he took time with people. He wasn't just passing the time of day. It was great. So yeah, I learned, learned people from that, from certain politicians, you know, come out with some good stuff, some bad stuff. So yeah, I've got a lot of mentors. I, I still say. The old cliche, every day is a school day, and it is. There's always, you can learn from a lot of people. From this last show, you know, we, the, I don't know if you've watched the last show on now, the um, celebrity version. Some of the celebrities on there, not just the celebrities, some of the other candidates as well. You know, I've learned a lot from them, from what they've said, what they're saying, what they're doing. And, yeah, so, I, I class, you know, I guess everybody's a mentor to a, de to a degree. It's just about cherry-picking what's relevant to you, what's beneficial to you that you can use to be beneficial for others. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, life lessons, mentors, mantras to pass on to people. If you were given an opportunity to just pass on one message to every person in the world, something you'd want them to learn, what would your message to them be? Treat people the way you want to be treated. 
and never look down on anybody. You know, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what day they've had. You don't know why they're acting the way. So just be patient, think, understand before you start making criticisms and decisions. So don't look down on anybody and treat everybody like the way you want to be treated. Fantastic. Where can our listeners um, buy the book and, and follow you and connect with you on social media? You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and the book you can get on Amazon um, or on my webpage if you want it signed personally with a message, that sort of stuff. Yeah, so any one of those connections there. Perfect. Um, Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you have too. I have, Lewis. Yeah, it's been great, mate. Thanks a lot. So that is it for this week's episode of the Freedom Pact podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're listening on iTunes, please leave a review and a rating. It really helps with the visibility of the show. We can't thank you guys enough for the kind comments we're receiving and how we're trending in the charts week in and week out now. And if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, I should say, please subscribe to the channel so you don't miss an episode every Monday, as well as releasing the audio on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else. We do release video versions of the podcast on YouTube, so check those out. They're a lot of fun too. That'll do it for this week. We'll catch you guys next Monday on the Freedom Pack.